The following message is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe can be found at axechurchleander.com. Uh, the reading from Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and enrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. So, have you guys ever had to wait on something? I think everyone has those things that you wait on while others don't. For me, it tends to be around media, right? So it might be a book series that I love. So I'm still bitter with George Martin and the 10 years he's made me wait on the next Game of Thrones book. Uh, my favorite author is actually Jim Butcher. And uh, he used to get uh, put out a book about once every eight months. And so I learned to get that every eight months. It was like my hit. And then it was like a year. And then it was like years, and then it was like four years, right? Uh, maybe it's TV shows for you, right? Netflix and Amazon taught us how to binge TV, and then we have to wait years in between. Maybe you're like my wife, and you wait on vacations. And so she will plan and plot and get the perfect vacation set up for us, and then there is that waiting time, right? We talk about Advent as the season of waiting. That's literally what it meant, and what's where we actually joined the ancient Israelites as they were waiting for their Savior. We've been in this series called Second Chances, specifically focused on the year of Jubilee and how that year literally meant to shout for joy, which makes sense as we talk about the Advent candle of joy today. But what we miss sometimes in the scriptural narrative is between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between Isaiah 61 where God promises that the Messiah is coming, to when Jesus actually shows up, it wasn't a couple years. It wasn't a George R.R. R. Martin release book. It wasn't 10 years. It was 700 years. 700 years. Think about how many family generations had to pass on that waiting, that one day God was going to rescue, one day God was going to restore, one day God, the Savior, the Messiah was going to come. They waited for 700 years for Jesus to show up. Again, it's part of the reason why we do the Advent season every year. We join with the ancient Israelites as we wait for a God who specializes in taking broken things and putting them back together again. And what we see in that scripture that Sean just read, Luke chapter 4, is that the waiting's over. When Jesus shows up, what ends up happening is he goes into the temple, he shows up to church, and this is his first public ministry sermon. And in Luke chapter 4, he goes in and he reads that uh, section from Isaiah 61. We read it together as a church a couple weeks ago, where he says, no, 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 this. Sorry, chapter 4. There we go. Starting in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News about him was spreading throughout the whole countryside. 
He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogues, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and on rolling it, he found the place where it is written. It's from Isaiah 61, chapter 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me. A couple weeks ago, we talked about those two phrases. The Spirit of the Lord was when God would show up in his power through a person, This would be where David defeats Goliath. This is when Samson gets the strength. The Spirit of the Lord would be upon the Messiah because he has anointed me. And that was the second way. It was like a double portion of God's blessing, a double portion of God's presence. And why? Well, to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And then he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of jubilee, to shout for joy. Then he, Jesus, rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. See, Jesus had been walking around the countryside healing the sick proclaiming God's word in power and in deed. Everyone's looking and they're like, wait a second, we know this scripture. We know what it's referencing. We've seen what this guy's been up to. And then he, Jesus, began to say to them, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He says, guys, the waiting's over. The waiting is over, he tells the people. And now they start getting excited. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked, right? There's this excitement, 700 years of waiting, and finally the Messiah shows up, right? The whole synagogue, the whole church is abuzz. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him preaching in the countryside. He just read the passage about the Messiah. This is it. It's all in. And then something happens, and I'm going to skip ahead five verses, because between that excitement, that joy, that eagerness, right, just five verses later, something very different happens, all right? This is verse 28, and again, we'll go back, but I just want you to just really visualize this. So much excitement to this. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. (laughs) Super joyous. This is fantastic. To, well, I guess we're going to have to kill him. Where's the nearest cliff? This reminds me of the scene in Anchorman where the, the news team's all about, about to fight and afterwards, Will Ferrell is like, wow, that escalated quickly. Right? That, that's what happens here, right? That's what's going on. To go from the joy, the advent, the surprise, to we have to kill him. What in the world happened in those five verses? How did we get there? Well, let's see what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote the proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have done in Capernaum. But truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to Zarephath to the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah, the prophet, 
Yet only one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. You know what Jesus did in those five verses? He changed the perception of what the Messiah was going to be. You see, at that time, the Israelites, literally those who wrestle with God, that's what their name means, they thought they knew what the Messiah had come to do. He was going to restore their prominence in the world. He was going to make them more powerful. He was going to bring back their their glory days. They wanted all the power for themselves. They wanted all of God's love for themselves. And Jesus shows up and he says, actually, I'm going to reference two groups of people that weren't in the inner circle. Because it's not about you. It's not about your tribe, he says. It's going to be about everybody. He changes their perception of what the Messiah is going to be. And in changing their perception, they decide they don't want that kind of Messiah. And so joy turns to hate and anger. And so the only solution is, well, I guess we've got to throw him off a cliff. How, how do we get there? How do we all move there? Because in 2020, guess what? All of us have thrown Jesus off a cliff at one point or another. All of us have hated the other, whoever the other is. I don't know which side of politics you're on or mass or COVID or whatever other issue in 2020, but all of us have gotten mad. All of us have known we were right and they were wrong, and so we were allowed to distance ourselves from them. We were allowed to other them. We were allowed to put them below us. And what we see in the Messiah of Jesus is he is not for us or them. It's us for them. And if you're wondering, like myself, why my joy hasn't been that strong this Christmas season, why my Advent has been a little bit harder, it's because I'm still trying to other someone else. I'm still more, import- I'm still more concerned with being right than in right relationship with other people. That's literally what righteousness means, to be in right relationship with God and to be in right relationship with each other. And yet all of us, When Jesus says, hey, I've come to make you righteous in right relationship with everyone, and yes, even that person, whoever that person is in your life. And we're like, well, no, no, God, I don't really want to be a part of that person's life. And our God turns around and says, well, I came for them too. I came to help you reconnect. I was reading through 1 Corinthians 13 today, that great passage of love, right? Typically, you'll see it at weddings. Love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, right? Beautiful. But it doesn't start with that. It starts with 1 Corinthians 1, where it says, you can speak in the tongue of angels. You can translate heaven, Paul says. But if you have not love, you are a resounding gong. He says, you can have all the knowledge of the prophets. You can have every right answer to every single thing. He says, if you have not love... You have nothing. He says you can give all you possess to the poor. You can do everything right. And if you have not love, you gain nothing. If you're like me in 2020 and you're wrestling with God's joy and why you don't have it, well, most likely you're like me. You're like the ancient Israelites 
you've decided being right's more important. You've decided doing right is more important. You've decided, I'm just going to talk to God is more important than being righteous in the form of our Savior who came not just for me, who came not just for you, but who came for our neighbors and our friends and everyone else. And the beautiful thing is, once we reposture ourselves in that, we actually get that joy, that excitement, that advent back in our life. Where all of a sudden we realize that the brokenness of the world and all the lies that it's telling us about what's going to make us happy, they, they start to fade away. And, and that true love, that true joy, that true excitement, which is the reason why we do all these traditions around Christmas, that starts to grow in our hearts. That starts to lead us forward. And all of a sudden, our connection to God and our connection to each other starts to grow and produce fruit. And when people see us, they see our Messiah. And they get to ask, well, why are you doing this? And we get to point them back to Jesus. We get to point them back to the year of the Lord's favor where we shout for joy. Not as individuals, not as individual churches, but as the people of God, inviting others to be a part of the people of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you in this season of Advent. Lord, and each of us in our own life can say, wow, that escalated quickly. Lord, we can be doing so well, and then someone sends a text message or says something, or, or we see something online or on the news, and we get triggered. Lord, and all of a sudden, we are not very interested in your joy anymore. We are interested in being right. We are interested in separating ourselves from those who aren't like us. And yet, Lord, what we see in your son Jesus is a righteous Savior who came to put us in right relationship with you even when we are in our rebellion. Lord God, we come before you now confessing our sin. Confessing the times where we have prioritized our own sinful nature. Even good things that you've given us at the expense of our relationship with you or our relationship with others. Lord God, we ask that you reconnect us to yourself. Lord, in, that, in reconnecting us to yourself, we are able to reconnect with each other as well. God, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.